The rest of you get your Bibles and find your way to Colossians 2. If you don't have a listening sheet or an outline, they're right back there by the doors. Um, it'll make it a lot easier for you to follow along. Um, and then jump into one of our DLT groups this week. Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, or Thursday. All right. Our text today is going to be found in Colossians chapter 2. We ended, we ended last week on verse 7. Uh, we did 6 and 7. And uh, I know that might seem a little bit slow. I, I really thought, and it, it may end up that way today, I don't know, that we would just do verse 8. But I'm going to try to go through verse 10. I'm going to add a verse from last week. How's that? We did two last week. We're going to try to do three this week. All right, do you have your Bibles open to Colossians 2? Say amen. amen. All right, here we go. There should be, there you go. There's the background. Um, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1 for context. Paul writing to them, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, to what end? That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the fullness of assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Notice the connection there. In whom are hidden all, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Last week's two verses of our text. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith in Christ, in your faith in Christ. Excuse me, and establish in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. And now our text for today. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in Him. If you have your own Bible, you should underline that phrase. You are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Father God, we come to you today. I come to you uh, asking for your help. I need your help to communicate what you have laid on my heart. And Lord, I'm providing the natural. I pray that you provide the super. And I pray that what is heard here today would be a supernatural exp explanation and exhortation and proclamation of your word. May it be clear. May it be compelling. May your spirit wake up those who do not know you today. May they draw, may, may your spirit draw them to Christ, to repentance and faith. And those who do know you, will you wake us up into what it is that we might be trying to add to Christ in order to enrich our walk with you, when in reality it's diminishing our walk. Would you give us ears to hear? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Beware of deception. I wonder if you'd agree with me today that we are not at all, despite our sophistication technologically, we are not at all a rationalistic society. <laughs> we remain, remain profoundly, inescapably spiritual. And I don't use that in a good sense. Last year, a Pew Research poll found that just over a quarter of adults in America, 27%, said that they were spiritual but not religious. 
How many have ever heard that in talking to somebody? I do a lot of funerals for people who, are spirit, who were spiritual and not religious. Um, a newspaper article interviewed people who fit the category spiritual but not religious. And let me read a few quotes of how that worked out for people. What they understood that to mean to be spiritual but not religious. You ready? One person explained that, quote, Living in a city, I fill my apartment with plants and herbs and green life. I cleanse with Dead Sea uh, salt baths and other herbal healing baths. I love nature and herbs. There are the magic healers of the earth. They are the magic healers of, healers of the earth and connect us to the spiritual, unquote. Another person said, quote, The practices I consider spiritual are things I do to care for myself in a deep way, to calm myself when I am distressed, and to create meaning out of the experiences of my life, end quote. Although the interviewee reported uh, to being not at all sure whether she believes in a higher power, nevertheless, she kept an altar in her home, listen to this, full of objects symbolically significant to her. And sometimes she performs rituals in which she calls on, quote, deities or deity archetypes, end quote. And then she adds, but I don't often believe that there is a divine order to things. Practices like these can, can create a way, can be a way to create beauty out of the chaos I feel I'm surrounded by. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Self-styled spirituality now what was fascinating and discouraging to discover is that most every one of the interviewees was raised in a Christian church of some form or another these were not people who never heard of Jesus they grew up in the church here's my point the fork in the road confronting the Colossians the message of these new teachers or the message of Paul about Jesus is the same fork in the road that confronts us precisely. Will it be the spirituality option or will it be the biblical gospel? And we're all at that fork in the road. And the question today is which fork will you choose? Which fork have you chosen? That's the purpose of verses 8 through 10. To help us make the right choice. To understand what lies down each of these two paths. And we're going to examine both of them in turn in just a few moments. The great C.S. Lewis said this, If you do not listen to theology, it will not mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ones, like the people in the article this morning. By the way, did you know they have, in, they have given those people who are spiritual but not religious a whole new classification? Um, and because there's so many of them. And they are called the religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E. They're the nuns, the nuns. They, they don't believe in, in religion, but they're spiritual. Did you know that just this, just a couple years ago when that Pew Research came out and the census came out that the, that the classification of the nuns surpassed evangelicals in the United States of America? You think about that. Now, to set up our discussion today, I know I've given you some cultural background. I want to give you a lesson in Gnosticism. Can I do that for a minute? Because you need to see what Paul is doing here. I can't wait to beat this guy that I'm named after. Because this guy has to be snarky. He has got a, he has got a sarcastic sense of humor. Um, and I'm going to show that to you here in just a second. Oh, yeah, that comes right. So, so we like to think about Gnosticism. Uh, that is something very old, and in fact it is. Historically, the roots of Gnosticism began, listen to this, a hundred years before Christ showed up. A hundred years before Christ, Gnosticism, or the idea of it, which we've, we've learned a little bit about, started to show up. The Gnostic perversion of Christianity would take hold around 100 A.D. That's about when John wrote 1 John. But it got its beginning in Colossae. It entered through Colossae. And eventually, it peters out in the church by the Middle Ages. But guess what? It's raised its ugly head in the last few years. How many of you ever heard of that book that they made a movie out of, The Da Vinci Code? You ever heard of that? 
Look at the other side. It's, it's the, gospel, the, the Gnostic Gospel of Judas. Um, and notice what it says. The Gospel of Judas and other Gnostic secrets reveal. It's all about secrets and mystery and higher knowledge. There's another one on the next screen, the Gospel of Thomas. And look what it says. Look what this book about the Gospel of Thomas says. Jesus the Yogi. And that isn't Yogi like the cartoon. That is Yogi like the New Age uh, mysticism cult. And equating Jesus with a New Age uh, mystical guide. That, folks, that's Gnosticism. Are you with me this morning? I don't know if you're out there. You with me? This is, this is old, but it's new. It's, it's reared its ugly head again. Um, in fact, they made subtle uh, claims that Gnosticism was the true Christianity of the early church in, in, in the book, The Da Vinci Code. And in these other two Gospels, that the true Gospel of the early church was Gnosticism. And that we've turned it into something it wasn't when in fact the opposite is true. So keep that in mind. One of the main concepts of Gnosticism, as I've told you before, was that all material things are evil, including you, your body, and good can only be in spiritual, non-material things. And they had a difficult time that thinking that a God who was spirit could create something evil like this physical universe. So guess what? They created a way to explain that. Imagine that. So I'm going to give you, it's in your outline this morning at the beginning, a Gnostic glossary. You ready? You know what a glossary is? We have, I, I, I was doing Latin lessons with Andy and Ben the other day, and they couldn't figure out what a word meant. I said, well, look it up in the, in the glossary. He said, we got a glossary? I said, yeah, it's in the back of your textbook. The whole time they've been doing Latin, they did not know that they had a glossary or a dictionary in the back of it. It just, it was like Christmas to them. They were so excited. So here's a glossary of Gnostic words, and I want you to see what Paul is doing. This is why I said I think Paul was a little snarky. He was literally feeding their words back to them. Only he's, he is defining their words properly when they had taken those same terms and twisted them into heresy. Uh, so you're going you're gonna to see that here as, as we get into it. And it's, we don't know what's happened here. It's possible that the Gnostics stole those terms uh, from Paul and from the Scriptures. Or it's also likely that Paul was just trying to attack their heresy and speak the truth about these terms. Um, and by the way, this is one of the characteristics of various cults and non-gospel preaching churches, sects of Christianity today. They'll use the same kind of language that you're going to hear in this church, but, but they define it completely differently. Are you with me this morning? If you go to a Catholic church, grace means you earn God's favor. When we look at the scriptures alone, grace means the unearned favor of God. Same word, two diametrically different definitions. Are you with me? So here's, here's the idea. Here's the first one. Is, the, is, the, is simply the word gnosis. And the word gnosis means knowledge. And you might want to jot these references down in your outline. Uh, I did not put those in there, but you need to have those. It means knowledge. And, and to these Gnostics, these early heretics, it's a very special kind of knowledge that's important. Everything you can see or touch is evil. Can you imagine thinking that way? And only invisible spiritual things can be good. With the right kind of knowledge, the, quote, spiritual you can be lifted out of this evil universe to be one with the one true God. And Jesus was a spiritual being who did not have a real body. That's what they believe. And he came specifically to give this special secret knowledge so that it can make you eternal and spiritual like him and you can get out of your body. Does that sound a little crazy? It's, it's all over today. You see it everywhere. Paul says this in Colossians 2, 3, just a few verses up. In whom, talking about Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and what, church? Knowledge. That's the same word, gnosis. He's using their word. Actually, he uses the word epigenosis, which is super knowledge. So he's really kind of smacking them down with his language. Um, and so the Gnostics taught that you needed this special knowledge that only came from them. By the way, when someone tells you that you need a special knowledge that only comes from them and not the Word of God, you ought to be suspect right there that you're talking to someone who is leading you away from Christ, not towards Christ. Amen? All right. 
So Paul said that the only special knowledge you needed was in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And really important to understand that. Here's the next one. It's this word pleroma. Pleroma, and it means fullness. Fullness. In the Gnostic mind, this, this is interesting. It was a code word that described God. This was their description of God, this word pleroma. The pleroma described all of who God was. It was the whole of God. It described a region of light that was different from our material universe. The Gnostics called this God the One or the Monad, um, the complete Aeon or the Deep, the Light. A related term in Gnosticism is the term Godhead, uh, another way of referring to this most perfect God. The Gnostics taught that the fullness was so perfect, listen to this, that God is so perfect that he could have nothing to do with an evil material world. You starting to get their worldview here? All right, so Paul says in Colossians 1.19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the pleroma should dwell. <laughs> all the fullness should dwell. He's using their words and he's feeding it right back to them. He said, they're lying to you about this word. Here's what that word really means. All the fullness of God. Then there's this next term, which is, which is um, aeon or ion, however you want to say it. And it simply means eternal. So the Gnostics taught this crazy thing that, that, that these aeons were actually beings, emanations that came from the pleroma, from God. So these are the emanations, these beings from God. And each aeon might create other aeons so, so they could reproduce themselves. And with each new generation of aeons, they had a little less light, kind of like a copy of a copy of a copy. And they were a little more flawed. So really, they believed in many little g gods. And this is what they were teaching. Now, now you, you got your seatbelt on? These Gnostics taught that the God of the Old Testament was the most flawed of these aeons. Jehovah was an aeon. Not, not the, the, the fullness of God. He was one of these way lesser beings that was actually evil. You believe this? This is what they were sneaking into the church. And, and, and the reason they thought he was evil was because he, was, he had to be evil enough to be able to create the evil physical universe because everything physical was evil. So if God created it, he must have been an evil aeon. So, um, you're not going to believe this, but some Gnostic traditions consider the God of the Old Testament to be satanic. Isn't this crazy? And this is all background. So Paul used this word to talk about the mystery of Christ coming to the Gentiles and the mystery that Jesus would actually dwell in our hearts. And Colossians 1.26, the mystery which have been hidden from the ages, the aeons, and from generations, but has now been revealed in his saints. Now here's the question. Could Paul have been hinting that the Gnostic aeons were clueless? Because that word ages means aeons. Could he have been referring to these fallen demons? Very possibly so. Or was he just talking about the ages past? It's interesting to think about. A couple more words. Um, the next word is Sophia. And not the beautiful little girl who was up here this morning. Mike said, I already owe her a dollar. He saw the outline. He said he wants, he wants his dollar on the way out. <laughs> Sophia actually means wisdom. Um, wisdom. And for the Gnostics... Sophia was a female goddess. And listen to this. Think about, in the lineup, she was the second to last aeon. So she, she was not up here with the pure aeon. She was down here. But she was still a little bit good. Now listen, this will blow your mind. They taught that Sophia gave birth to Yahweh, the one true God. Can you believe it? Our one true high holy God. Sophia gave birth to him as the God who then, the aeon who created the universe. And Paul uses this word Sophia six times in the book of Colossians. He's just feeding their words right back to them, only turning them into the truth. He describes, he will use this word to describe what is in Jesus. Colossians 2, 3. In whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of Sophia, of wisdom, 
and knowledge. You see what he's doing? Y'all understand where I'm coming from this morning? All right. What's, what's Paul saying? He's saying, hey, folks, Sophia is not a her. It's actual wisdom. And all of this wisdom is found embodied in a human being called Jesus. And then there's this next word, which is called a demiurge. Demiurge. And it literally means skilled laborer. So the Gnostics used this term as the title for the son of Sophia, who we would refer to as Jehovah. He was the fellow who was evil enough to create the physical universe. Some called him Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. Is, it, is this blowing anybody's mind yet? This is what was creeping into the church. So I'm glad that's not out there today. Brothers and sisters, this is exactly what's out there in the New Age movement and in hum, um, a materialistic humanism. The writer of Hebrews used this word to also describe God when talking about Abraham, Hebrews 11.10. For he wanted... For he waited for the city who, which has foundations, whose builder and maker, Demiurge, is God. So in a sense, God is, the Bible does call God a skilled laborer, but he is the maker of heaven itself, not just this flawed, fallen world. Do you see the difference? Do you see the heresy here? Here's another one, archon. Archon. And that word means beginning or principality. The word archon, A-R-C-H-O-N. And so the Gnostics use this term to describe lesser beings that were created by the Demiurge. Are you getting an idea of the hierarchy of created beings? So this Demiurge, son of Sophia, created all these archons, which were lesser gods or higher angels, however you want to say it. And they ruled over this material world, and we call them either angels or demons. Right? And this is crazy, but to the Greek mind, they didn't care which it was. Because the, the whole goal was wisdom, and it doesn't matter where the wisdom comes from. It was, it's the beginning of, of um, um, if it works, it's good. Listen, there's a lot of things that work in the spiritual world, but they are not good. Right? It's pragmatism, and it started back way back then. So Paul uses this word as well in Colossians 1.16, Archon, where he says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth. That was an offense to, to the Gnostics. Visible and invisible, that was an offense. Whether thrones or dominions or archons, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So Paul uses this word, to describe angelic beings that were created by the Christ Jesus, the Lord. You see the difference? So, all of that is just kind of background to get you to the outline today. And the outline we're going to pick up in verse number 8. Are you at verse number 8, chapter 2, verse 8? What's the first word there? Thank you, Ben. Beware. Beware. Where do we usually see the word beware? Yeah, beware of dog, right? And when, when I worked at HelpLink, I learned to pay attention to that sign, right? Beware of dog. What does that word beware mean? Watch out. Be careful. Be on your guard. Because there's something lurking close by that can really hurt you or harm you. The title of the sermon, I just entitled this, this talk today, Beware of Deception. And he starts off by saying, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Now that word cheat is an interesting word. Other translations um, say, beware lest anyone carry you off through philosophy or vain deceit. It's the word for kidnapping. Did you know that word cheat there is a word for kidnapping? It's a word that for the spoils of war, the booty of war, you win, everything that was theirs becomes what? Yours, and you carry it off captive. You get the idea? Paul's saying, look, Colossians, beware. You're in danger of being kidnapped away from Christ. And here's how it's happening. It's through these two things, through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, philosophy is, is a two-part Greek word. Philo, which is the word for love, and Sophia, which is the word for wisdom. It's the love of wisdom. But how many of you know there's two kinds of wisdom? There's man's wisdom. 
And there's God's wisdom. And I don't think Paul is saying that all philosophy is bad. We've had some great Christian philosophers. C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, Francis Schaeffer, Dallas Willard. Some great Christian philosophers. But Paul here uh, qualifies philosophy. He says, not just through philosophy, but empty deceit. So wisdom, or the love of wisdom, that's not wrong. Because Jesus is all about wisdom, isn't he? I mean, Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? All, all wisdom is found where, church? In who? Christ Jesus. But there's some type of wisdom that are nothing but empty ideas. How many of you realize that this morning? I think there's some stuff probably in your life and even in your belief system about God, about Christ himself, that are nothing but empty ideas because they don't come from Scripture. They come from distortions of Scripture. They come from smooth-sounding philosophies and arguments and ideas, but they are not of Christ. People who follow the wrong ideas may know a lot, but it's a lot of empty ideas. 1 Timothy 6.20, what does Paul say to Timothy? Oh, Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and contradictions Listen to this, of what is falsely called knowledge. Do y'all realize that there's a bunch of stuff that's being thrown at you on the Christian TV station that is falsely called knowledge? And it's not. It's empty deceit. Notice the next one. According to, to what? The traditions of men. According to the traditions of men. Not all traditions, just like not all philosophy is bad, not all traditions are bad. Let me back up for a second and, and, and just say something real quick. I want to give you a couple of examples. And I know I'm going to step on people's toes, but I want you to think about it. And don't believe me, go study it out for yourself. But there's a lot of stuff that we baptize in the church and use. And there's a lot of stuff we shouldn't. There's some stuff, no matter how many times you baptize it, it's still going to be philosophy and empty deceit. I mean, can I give you a couple of examples? Um, the Enneagram. You say, what's the Enneagram? I, I hesitate to even say it. I didn't put it on the screen because I don't want you to know how to spell it and I don't want you to go look it up. But the Enneagram is a personality test. And, and, it's, and it's all over the churches today. And it's whole life. There's nothing wrong with knowing what kind of personality you have. There's nothing wrong with taking a test. There really isn't. But the whole idea, the whole philosophy, the whole empty deceit behind this thing is that I have to know more about me so I can be a better servant to Jesus. I need to make sure that I am, I am working within the scope of who I am so I can do a better job for the Lord. I don't know about you, but I found in my life the more I concentrate on me, the less good I am to Jesus. Here's the other problem. You do just a little bit of cursatory research and you find something out. You, we must go back and learn the origins of such things. The whole Enneagram came about through what's called autocratic writing or auto-writing. Somebody channeled a demon and this whole thing of the Enneagram was given to them from a spiritual guide. You know what that's called? A demon. And it's all over the churches today. Stay away from that stuff. You don't need that stuff. You need Jesus. In Him is all wisdom and knowledge and fullness. Amen? Amen. What about Christian yoga? That's like saying Christian Muslim. Yoga is not exercise. It is a philosophy. It is empty deceit. When you're doing yoga, you go to the, to the, 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 the three or four chakra or energy centers in your body. One of those energy centers is literally called Lucifer. And then the one of light is called Christ or Jesus. What in the world? You can't baptize that. we got to clear that stuff out of our lives. And that's what Paul is telling. It is seeped back into the church. And some of this comes to us through the traditions of men. Not all traditions are bad. For 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Hey, there's some traditions worth hanging on to, amen? But there's some traditions that can cause problems. And this word was often used to refer to the oral tradition 
that the rabbis claimed were from Moses. And they called it the Mishnah. If you have any Jewish friends, you're going to hear about the Mishnah. The Jews uh, don't believe that the first five books of the Bible were all that Moses received from God. All that was recorded. They also believe that God told them a lot more things and that these things were passed down from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi until they were finally written down, listen to this, 200 years after Jesus. That's suspect. So from the beginning of Moses' time till 200 years after Jesus, these things finally get written down. And apparently he told Moses a whole lot more than the first five books because this thing is uh, um, six volumes this Mishnah. And these were the things that Jesus was constantly rebuking and correcting those, those religious leaders about. If you remember in Matthew 15, 1 through 6, that's when the Bible says, that then, then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? That's talking about the Mishnah. And here's, here was their problem. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, those religious leaders would love today with coronavirus. Wash your hands. They'd be the first ones saying, wear that mask. I got no problem with mask wearing. I think we should be washing our hands, right? But they made a tradition of it. And so much so that, that, that this tradition for washing the hands, not just before the meal, but during the meal, you had to stop and do it again, supposedly given to Moses from God. There were exact amounts of water that were to be poured into your hands, and your hands were to be rubbed in a certain way, in a certain direction, for a certain number of revolutions. And brothers and sisters, this was not about germs. This was about ceremony. Things that you can add to it to make you better, more right with God. And breaking that oral tradition was a pretty serious thing. Here's, here's, here's part of their, uh, what they're saying about not washing right before and during your meal. They would say this in the Mishnah. Whoever eats bread without washing his hands is as if he lay with a whore. What? That's what they said. This is what Paul's dealing with here. So Jesus, Jesus gets all over him. So he answers in verse 3 and says to them, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? He's going back. He's saying that mission is not from God. For God's um, command is saying, Honor your father and mother. And he put curses. And he who puts curses on father and mother, let him be put to death. But you, they got this from the Mishnah say, whoever says to his mother or father, whatever profit or whatever I have in my bank account you might have received from me, well, that's dedicated to God. That's a gift of God, a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect, listen to this, by your tradition. What would they say? These guys were just saying, I got all this money. Mom and dad are, are destitute. But because my money is dedicated to God, I can't take any of it and take care of mom and dad. And they were breaking the law because of a tradition. Same thing happens today. They traded their, we trade our traditions for God's ideas. We've got to be very careful of that. This Similar difficulty is built into the Roman Catholic Church. They teach that the church tradition is as important and is as valuable and is, and is really a higher standard than God's revealed word in the 66 books of Scripture. You say, do they really believe that? Well, do you realize that when the Pope declares that Mary saves you and was a virgin all of her life, it's a big problem for... Um, the guy who wrote the book of James, because he was Jesus' brother, and the guy who wrote the book of Jude, if Mary's a virgin her whole life. But they say it was, so you're supposed to believe that because that's a higher word than Scripture, more authoritative. When the Pope declares that you don't receive grace by faith, but you get it by going to church and taking communion and confessing your sin and working, doing penance to have that sin removed, you're just supposed to believe that because his word is higher than Scripture. Brothers and sisters, you can be cheated and deceived through tradition. Are you with me? He goes on to say, according to the basic principles of, wor of the world and not according to Christ. Now, this basic principles, the Greek word there is anything first or primary or fundamental principles. 
Now, it can refer to several things, and I'm going to tell you what I'm pretty sure it's referring to here. It can refer to elementary things. Like when you go to school, in order to read, the first thing you learn are your alphabet. Or we call them the what? ABCs, your letters. You go, you know, ABC. Jack's learn, you know, they, they learn them now when they're little. Right? I hear Elizabeth at the kitchen table every morning. They sing some. I like their alphabet song because it's based on scripture. But you learn your alphabet. It's the simple one, two, three things in a row. But the ancient Greeks also used the same word to refer to the elemental spirits of the universe. They were angels that influenced the heavenly bodies. It was one of the words in the vocabulary of astrology, of the astrology of that day. The Gnostics believed that the angels and the heavenly bodies influence people's lives. You say, well, that's just ignorant caveman stuff. You ever heard a horoscope? It's still around today. Paul warns the Colossians against the kinds of demonic heresies that will lead them away from Jesus. How many of you know that stuff's still out there today? People don't want to read your palm? I was, I was, I was, uh, I forget where I was, but some, uh, walking down a, um, a street, I, know, I wasn't in this country, I think it was in Mexico, lady wanted to read my palm for money. I said, no, you don't need to read my palm, you need to read God's word. Amen? I don't need my palm read, you need God's word read. Um, let me tell you this story, you all have heard of Martin Lloyd-Jones. He tells the story of a woman who had been a spiritist or a medium uh, conducting seances and so on. And she was living in Wales in the 30s when Martin Lloyd-Jones was still ministering in South Wales. And one Sunday evening, she was unable to get to her regular meeting, her spiritist meeting. And she saw people headed to the chapel where Lloyd-Jones was preaching and she decided she'd go along with them. And when she was there, she was marvelously converted to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Sometime later, Lloyd-Jones asked her what she thought that first night in the chapel on a Sunday evening, coming from a spiritist, demonic background. And what she said in reply, I think gets at Paul's point here exactly. Here's what she said. Listen. Quote, the moment I entered your chapel and sat down on a seat amongst the people, I was conscious of a power. I was conscious of the same sort of power I was accustomed to in our spiritist meetings, but there was one big difference. I had a feeling that the power in your chapel was clean power. Did you hear that? The power in your chapel was clean power because it was power that came from the one true God. Christians, we ought to be careful not to get caught up in things like horoscopes or astral charts or Ouija boards or other spiritist practices. The Christian who dabbles in these things is only asking for trouble. Amen? So beware. Beware. There are things out there uh, that, that, are, that are trying to pull you away from Christ. Verse 9 is an admonition to be wise. Verse 8 is beware. Verse 9 is what? Be wise. And here's four. That word four means because. Because in him, in Christ, here's why you don't need all those things. Because in, you don't need philosophy. You don't need empty deceit. You don't need the traditions of men. Why? Because in Christ dwells all the, there's that word, pleroma. what is that word? Pleroma, the fullness of the Godhead, how? Bodily. Now, I just want you to notice something here. This entire verse is made up of Gnostic words. And boy, this must have chapped those Gnostic teachers in that congregation. Because he uses every one of their words and feeds it right back to them. That word dwells, it means to settle into, to inhabit. What is he saying? He said that all the fullness, all, the, all this pleroma, this fullness of the Godhead, that was their word too, dwelt, was happy to live in and through the physical body of Jesus. And they said nothing physical is good, couldn't happen. His body wasn't real. Dwell, the word fullness, same one, pleroma. That which has been filled, a Gnostic word. Godhead, which is deity, the state of being God. Bodily, that means corporally. Remember I talked to you last week about that 
that Gnostic heresy, that branch called docetism. It was a doctrine found in the Gnostic writings. It's the teaching that Jesus did not have a physical body, a fleshly body with blood like, like we do. They thought that Jesus was just a spirit being. He was a mirage. They don't think he'd leave, they don't think, didn't think that he would leave a footprint or that you could even touch him. If you touched him, you'd go right through him like a ghost. 1 John 4, 3. Remember, that's written around 100 A.D. when, this, when, when Gnosticism has really taken root. Look what John says. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the what, church? Flesh. Bang! Punch Gnosticism right in the nose. Is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The Gnostics could never conceive that a holy God could live in physical flesh. But he did. Amen? He did. And Paul says he was even quite at home with it. So we need to be wise. We need to realize that everything that you could ever need or desire, you already have in Christ. And then this last one, don't crucify me until I explain it. Don't just beware. Don't just be wise, but be woke. Be woke. And by that I mean wake up. Be alert. And realize that you have everything you need in Jesus. Look at verse 10. And you are, what's that word, church? Say it loud. Complete. You are complete in Christ, in Him, in Jesus who is the head of all principality and power. You're complete. You got everything you need. You got it all. You don't need a second blessing. You won't find that in the scripture. You don't need some emotional experience. You don't, you don't need anything other than what, when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. And I hear so many people say, oh, preacher, I just need more of God. Like, you could handle that. Right? And in fact, you got all of God you're ever going to get when you got Christ. When you were placed into Christ, you were filled up with Him. Christ in you, Paul says in Colossians 1, the hope of glory. When you got Jesus, you got all of God you ever need and ever could handle. You don't need more of God. Listen to me, God needs more of you. That's the problem. He says right there, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and powers. And, and these Gnostics are oh no, you need Jesus, but he's just one of these ions to get you to, to the true full God. And come to find out the true fullness of God isn't even Jehovah. He's apparently almost a demon. What in the world? They're, they're, they're stealing you away from the truth of Christ. You're complete. That word means to make full, to make complete in every particular, to be rendered totally complete and filled up. You want to hear something great? I know you may be getting sick of this grammar, but this is in the perfect participle. What does that mean? Yeah, Ben recognizes that. We're doing that in Latin right now. It's done in the past. Perfect means complete, and if it's complete, it had to happen when, church? In the past. That's how I was explaining it to these guys the other day. These knuckleheads, I don't know if they got it or not, but apparently somebody recognized the word at least, so praise the Lord <laughs> for ears to hear. Yeah, it's the perfect participle. It's done in the past, but because of that participle, the results of what was done in the past, check this out, continue into the present. Isn't that great? And it again is a passive word. You didn't do anything to get filled up with God. God did all the work. You just receive. Not more for you to do, but to receive Him. Isn't that? What a glorious truth that is today. Amen? Now, the Gnostics might think that we could be complete after we get liberated from our fleshly body. But Paul says, it's already happened. It's in the past. And the effect is continuing. He already did that for you. You're already complete. Stop looking for other things and start looking to Jesus. Amen? And so many of us, you say, oh, that's such old-fashioned, crazy nonsense. Half of you believe Gnostic heresy. 
You think, well, you know what? The only hope for me is when I die and get to heaven, then I'll be perfect. That's not what this scripture says. The scripture says the hope for you is now. You have Jesus. You have all of Jesus that you could ever need. You have everything that you need to be perfect, to be complete now, and to follow his word and to keep his law through the Holy Spirit. You have no excuse not to live in Christ and Christ to live through you. And yet you believe it. We've all drunk deeply from the well of worldly wisdom. And we wonder why our Christianity doesn't work for us. It's because we've been lied to. We've drunk the Kool-Aid. What's the lesson here? The lesson is what I just said. Jesus is all you need. And the Gnostics were right about God. In the sense that God was awesome. And they believed that. They just miss, I missed it in identifying who he was and how he relates to us. Listen, when his fullness is in me, I am full. Did you hear that? When his fullness, and you know what's the cool thing about being full? You ever been like Thanksgiving full? Y'all can relate to that? Shake your head. You know Thanksgiving full? Like, oh, you are like, you ate the whole bird. Right? And you are like ready to throw up. You're just like, oh. What happens when someone comes to you with, with a prime rib? See, that's your problem. You're a Gnostic. Now, when you are so full, someone could come with you, the best cut in the world. It's like, nope, I can't do it. I'm already what, church? Full. You know what some of our problem is today? We're chasing after sin because we don't understand that we're full already. Why do we chase sin? Why do you sin? Why do you break the command of God every day in your life? Because you're looking to that. Nobody sins without trying to get something from it. You sin because you think that that sin is going to meet a need, listen to me, that's already been met in Jesus Christ. You're Gnostics. It's heresy. We must repent of that. and say, I'm already full. I have all and I need. So we get led astray when we start thinking that we need something else beside Jesus. Is that simple? It's profound. But it's simple. I heard one preacher say this week as I was in my study of this text, anything you think that you need to add to your Christian experience to draw you closer to Christ is actually going to pull you farther away from Him. Stop looking to add to it. Enjoy the intimacy that we have in the fullness. And believe it. It's something that's been done in the past, that's continuing into today, and it's having an effect on you. Embrace it. And stop looking in other places. The Amazon River. Did you know that's the largest river in the world? You boys are drawing the world right now. Have you drawn the Amazon yet? You got in South America? The mouth of the Amazon is 90 miles across. Think about that, 90 miles. And there's enough water to exceed the combined flow of the Yangtze, Yangtze, Mississippi, and Nile rivers together. That's a lot of water, folks. So much water comes from the Amazon that they can detect its currents, listen to this, 200 miles out in the Atlantic Ocean. Isn't that crazy? One irony of, of ancient sea, sea travel and navigation is that sailors in ancient times often died of a lack of water. Caught in the windless waters of the South Atlantic. They were adrift, helpless, and literally dying of thirst. Sometimes other ships from South America who knew the area would come alongside and call out, What's your problem? And they would call back, Can you spare us some water? Our sailors are dying of thirst. You know what they would tell them? The ship from from South America would cry out to them, just lower your buckets. <laughs> You're at the mouth of the mighty Amazon River. The water's fresh. You're sitting in the answer. Hey, what do you mean, Paul? I mean, lower your bucket. Jesus is all you need, and you got as much of him as you can handle. Stop looking to other things and look to Christ. Clean power. True freedom. It's only in Jesus Christ. Please don't accept any substitutes. Paul, Paul's issuing a warning. And see to it that no one takes you captive, carries you away, kidnaps you, 
by any of the counterfeits that are out there. Rivet your gaze on Christ, crucified, risen, and reigning, and never allow your eye to stray, and you will wake up to the fullness you already have in Him. So Joseph's going to come, and as he's coming, I have a question. Same question as last week. Are you in Him? Have you received Him? Have you welcomed Him into your life? Have you welcomed His life into yours? If you haven't, you need to do that today. You need to stop fooling around. And if you say, no, I'm not sure. I think I am. I love you. You're not. You're not. And this is not a game to be played. And Christ is calling some of you right now to himself. Very, very, I believe that with all my heart. Right now, Christ is, is, is literally calling some of you to see who he is. To see your own sin. And to, and to run to Jesus. And to receive him. To welcome him into your heart, into your life. Right now. You say, Lord, I am a sinner. I get it. I own it. And I see Jesus on that cross for me. And I see an empty tomb saying that you accept him. I'm, I'm running into that. I am welcoming Jesus into my life right now. And he'll do that for you. That's the last thing you need to hear me say today. Those of you that are believers, already are in Christ. What have you been trying to add to your faith? What little gadgets and, 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 and isms are you embracing? Theology matters, like C.S. Lewis says. What are you believing about Jesus right now? You think, well, I got Jesus, and now I have to figure out the rest for my... No, when you got Jesus, you got everything. You're full! You're Thanksgiving full! How about you just enjoy Him and let that fullness flow out of you and stop looking in the wrong places for anything but Jesus? Maybe you need to tell Him that today. Maybe you need to be reminded how much you need him and how, how he fulfills to overflowing all of your need. I think we should be doing that right now. Some of you need to be welcoming Jesus like a legit coming to Christ, rejecting your sin and embracing your Savior. It's not a game. It's not something that... Um, happens to you because you're in church it's something that happens because God has come to you he's coming to some of you today don't do anything but receive him admit your sin shed some tears over it say Jesus I need you and I want you and, and I, I, I welcome you into my life you've already done that say Jesus I only need and want you would you stand with me I'm going to pray Joseph's going to lead us let this song be your prayer Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. He's our only hope. He's the only answer. He is the only Savior. And there's some people sitting in this room today that have been, we just don't know, we're not sure. We don't have that assurance that Paul talked about. But Lord, that is the experience when we're full of Jesus. Some of us are full of a lot of things, but Jesus isn't one of them. Oh Lord, we... I pray for those souls right now that they would be inviting Jesus into their life and that Him coming in is going to flush out all of the junk that's been in there all these years and they would nail it down today and be assured that they belong to you and begin to embrace that fullness. And those of us who have forgotten and think that we need something other than Jesus, would you remind us of that heart truth today that I am complete in Him. It was done for me in the past and it continues through to this day. And I, all I must do is enjoy Jesus. I have everything when I have Him. Would you burn this truth on our hearts today until we believe it and it makes a difference in Jesus' name. As Joseph Lee. Lord, I come and I
morning every hour confess Christ before me, then you've not received him. Believe me, you're going to have to confess Christ before men. And when he comes into your life, you're going to want to. So I'm going to stay up here. Because I want to be the first person that you tell. I believe that's happened today. And I want to, I want to give you some help in taking your first steps. 
and enjoying all the fullness that you now have in Jesus Christ. Father, we love you today. Praise you. You are good. You are God. And you are all that we need through Christ. May we enjoy that fullness. May we seek nothing else. No revelation. Nothing outside your scripture. May it sink deeply in our hearts today. In Jesus' name. different today. I will sing a doxology up here. And I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to turn my microphone off and I'm going to stay up here. Come confess Christ to me if that happened to you. Or if you are a believer and you just need to talk, I'm going to be right here this morning. Would you sing that doxology with me as we leave out this morning? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may God himself grant you his peace. Leave this place in the fullness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm waiting. Come talk to me.